0: Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 86. You've probably heard from other entrepreneurs or advisors or potentially even other people that we've interviewed on this show that professional services firms are very difficult to sell because it's all about the people and there's not a lot of assets. Well, today's guest name is Kareem Maruki and Kareem has been in the digital agency and professional services space for decades and has a lot of exits underneath his belt. He's successfully sold a couple companies. He's the current current CEO and owner of Crowd Favorite, which is a WordPress agency for Fortune 500 companies such as Microsoft and National Geographic. Kareem comes on the show today to have a conversation with me about what are the things that these digital agencies and professional services firms are doing that create value and create a sustainable operational machine within their company and how through their people and establishing a niche, they're able to explore different exit and partnership opportunities that allow them to harvest and reap the rewards of the value that they've created, but then also align the vision that they have for their business and their people with a potential partner or buyer so they can be happy, but also get the rate of return on their hard work that they deserve. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this episode with Kareem. This episode of Life After Business is brought to you by Solidity Financial's Growth and Exit Planning. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the right buyer at the price you want. Kareem, how you doing? I'm
1: doing great today, Ryan. How are you?
0: Good. I'm glad you and I met. Um, it was over a couple cocktails at a distillery over uh, the holidays, and you and I got chatting, and it was one of those that it was difficult to uh, pry myself away from the conversation because you got such an interesting background. And I had other people to talk to, but you know, for our listeners that have not uh, heard of you yet, I think maybe we'll, let's take, take us back to when and how you got exposed to the entrepreneurship uh, world and dynamics, because I think you were submersed very, very deep into it uh, from an early age. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit of the backdrop? Yeah.
1: So I was relatively lucky. In the 1970s, my dad started doing something that would seem crazy and harebrained. He had an idea of how to get large construction infrastructure projects financed in the third world. So he literally would jump on a plane, go to name your third world country here, and show up at the best five-star hotel of the capital and hang out. (laughs) And by networking within a few days, he'd usually find somebody somewhere who had something to do or knew the Ministry of the Interior. One thing led to another, and uh, amazingly enough, he would put together these projects where he would negotiate between um, international banks, large construction companies, um, government agencies to do uh, the, the performance bonds of other countries, and just pull together a uh, building a, a, a hydroelectric dam or dredging a port out of nothing, where there was no project before. And watching him negotiate this as I grew up uh, in the in the 1980s was just amazing. A lot of travel, a lot of different cultures, learning how to deal with, you know, not only the different national cultures, but the different cultures that we bring as we, you know, nature and nurture of growing up. It was just an amazing I- ideal of seeing how he did this. And after he had a few few successful projects, he started doing something where he was quite literally merging together different architecture engineering firms and different construction firms to do larger projects. And that's where he had my first taste of,
0: ooh, if you merge two groups together, you can actually get more than the sum of their parts. And you were actually involved in some of those projects too at an early age, weren't you? Yeah. Um, growing up, Quite literally traveling,
1: a uh, little bit of homeschooling, a lot of apprenticeship. So I started uh, at a drafting table at the age of 12. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by, the, by the time I was 16 and 17, was working on,
0: on actual projects that were being built. So really seeing the intricacies of a lot of the inner works of how the companies were merging, getting the projects executed. And, and it's interesting from knowing some of the backdrop of your story. How did you go from construction and architecture and then all of a sudden into digital marketing? and? there there's a very interesting spot that that happened you want to kind of give the listeners you know what yeah. what literally what phone call changed the trajectory of where you were going yeah under
1: the hashtag you never know where it's going to come from <laughs> um i i was always passionate about technology and computers growing up when uh when the first personal PCs were coming and um i started i started doing what's called macro or LISP routine programming for AutoCAD. Back when AutoCAD was on DOS, (laughs) uh, where you typed coordinates rather than used a mouse, more often than not, we were looking for ways to really make it faster and to work faster to to do drafting. I wrote a few LISP routines, and they ended up being published in a magazine for CAD. One thing led to another, and my last semester in university... I received a letter asking me to uh, to go work uh, at Autodesk, Hmm. at the company that made AutoCAD. And um, while that wasn't a good fit very long, I loved the technology, and i had a I had a mentor and a manager who said, "You know what? You'd be really good at helping regular people understand the technology the way you are. So why don't we move you from programming to?" Marketing, and you can go work with a uh, with a wish list team, explaining to our clients what's going to be in the next version. So I went from architecture to a brief stint in trying to program, to uh, trying to explain uh, technology to folks who really, you know, didn't didn't want to understand the depth. They just needed it
0: to work. And is that what happened when, so that makes a lot more sense now as I think about you switching into the digital marketing world and you ended up becoming an entrepreneur because you've been through multiple exits. Um, hmm. So where did you pull the trigger to actually start doing this for yourself?
1: Um, yeah, a- another sort of unforeseen circumstance, uh, I was visiting a friend in Los Angeles who was starting an ISP. And uh, in that ISP, they were uh, installing racks and of modems and servers and things, uh, and I was just sort of hanging out. One day the phone rang, and uh, as as they're back, they're like, "Hey, Kareem, do us a favor, pick up the phone." <laughs> so I I pick up the phone, and it ended up being a very famous PR agency that I didn't realize at the time, asking if uh, the company did uh, wrote websites, being more of a smart-ass than somebody who answers questions without knowing their context. I asked who the client is Um, before answering, and they said, oh, well, our client is Nissan. It's like, yeah, we build websites. (laughs) I thought I was doing my friends a favor. I hang up the phone and say, hey, guys, in a couple of days, you guys have somebody coming down to to talk to you about building a website, and they look at me like I'm crazy and go, we have no idea how to do that. Uh, This was 1994. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um, so they're like yeah you're, you're gonna take this meeting with us and one thing led to another and we literally started a, a web shop one of Los Angeles's first
0: web shops um, in the same space with this ISP that's awesome and and you're because you've as you expect as you um, go down that journey and the path a little bit you've, you've gone through how many successful exits at this point um Let's see. I've gone through five exits
1: and four of them were successful monetarily, but all five of them were successful
0: period. And you know, and the purpose of, you know, your presentation or or presence on the podcast, I should say is is because you've got some crazy insights on the professional services world and the inner workings of really managing people as assets and maybe because we're not gonna be going diving into all those different exits, but you know, yeah. kind of give us a little bit of the 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 order and some of the major milestones along those. Cause I, I know you picked up some crazy bits of wisdom as you went through those. And then even th- from from the, the exit that didn't work, you know, what were some of the main trends and pieces of information that you were gathering as you were going through those? So it's interesting because folks automatically
1: assume when they talk about Exits of service agencies, that there, that there either is no way to get out, or it's going to be very complicated, and it doesn't have to be. Um, it's true that we don't have a lot of hard assets when we talk about professional services, and that's defined professional services for a second. Mm-hmm. When we talk about professional services, we could be talking about a web shop, we could be talking about a law firm, an accountant, accountancy. Anybody who is actually doing any consulting and you're selling either hours or services as projects, it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. So folks figure that, you know what, how can I sell it if it doesn't have any assets? And when we're in the business of, of selling services day to day, a lot of people use the analogy of the restaurant style, the customer's always right, and it's about customer service. And I think the analogy about restaurants actually plays through. Uh, when you're talking about buying and selling restaurants, when you think about the most successful restaurants and the ones that are, that are um, of the highest value, mm-hmm. you're not thinking what kind of stove do they have in their kitchen or how much do they pay for those chairs or tables? Yep. You're thinking what's the reputation of that chef? What's the reputation of that restaurant? right?
0: Yeah. No, I think, I mean, that's huge because there is the, you know, they call it the goodwill or whatever, that is the brand and it's the people and it's the reputation and it's longevity of them being in business and and being consistent with what they're providing.
1: Right. So you hit the core of of my conversation I like to have with entrepreneurs who do services. You know, everybody who does M&As is very familiar with the term goodwill and you'll have a lot of technocrats in M&A say well goodwill is one of those things you just can't you really can't put a number on i like to call bullshit on that
0: right right i would agree with that so what well, where in these you know exits that you've had you know did you learn that the hard way how did you come to that realization what what were some of the you know big you know cornerstones along the journey that really got you the uh, the the passion with the statement that and the, the opinion that you have
1: well so What ends up happening is that you end up having a lot of people tell you that the business is only as worth uh, as much as its contracts or as much as you have going on at the moment. And what you have to take a look at is nobody's going to buy a service company for the sort of just the, the financial value, unless there's a motivation behind it that makes sense to the buyer. So, in, in my experience, there's only two types of successful transactions in professional services. There's the pure financial ones. I actually worked for a large international conglomerate that buys up and swallows agencies, and uh, they only do it based on contract value. Okay. Period. It's just financial. You could have the best art director in the world, you could have the best clients in the world, they don't care. It's just a spreadsheet and a math position. If you're looking to just get out of your professional services uh, firm, then it's just about filling out that spreadsheet and a deal is a deal. On the other hand, there's an entire genre of entrepreneurs out there, like good restaurateurs, who are looking for professional services firms and are looking to expand a brand, a reputation, a Service line with happy clients, because they know that by being the best of the best, they can actually charge more. <laughs> right. You know, there's there's lots of really great um, family restaurants on on the corners of any any city, but what everybody really wants to do is they want to go to that five, you know, that that Michelin star, that five star restaurant and have that incredible meal. That's what people want, even if they can't afford it. Um, so if you can find a way to really pull off that quality, then you have something where you know it's it's a buyer's market in the sense of coming to a final a final deal but you can actually uh, throw away the conversation of multiples and how multiples only apply to things that have intellectual property or physical value and say this is what my business is worth and I've got to find the right buyer
0: that is hugely powerful because I, you know, I've uh, people have heard me say your business is worth what someone's willing to pay for it because there's all these financial models and all these different things, but it's really worth it, what it's worth to both parties, which is what you're what you're describing. You're putting the control into you know you knowing what that is. So maybe Kareem, we should maybe let's take this in a couple different chunks. One, one being like how do we build that type of firm to make sure that we're doing the right things to be able to get that kind of control, and then the second being let's uh, talk about the deal structure. And how you go about actually, you know, forgetting about the multiples and accomplishing thing that, and then also maybe the third being the the, the last part of the journey, which is what does the ongoing relationship look like once you've done something like that? So maybe starting out with the first one, you know, what is it? That, what are the things that you're doing to make yourself? That brand and that reputation, you know because you're dealing with people. it's like one of the hardest things of being a business owner is dealing with people, yep. and that is the sole bread and butter of what you've been doing. Yep. So how you know what are some of the things that you've done, and what are the th- things that people do to to make sure that they're building that brand that they need?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say is the most successful brands and the most successful service agencies that I've seen, again, doesn't matter the genre are the ones who can really pull together a customer segment and verticalize. The, nobody wants to go eat at a restaurant that does all cuisines. And I keep using that analogy because mm-hmm. it's very powerful. If you can really hone the, the fact that you're not only a specialist in Italian food, but you're the place to go for fresh pasta that's handmade. Mm-hmm. I, that People are like, oh, well, I got to try that. Right? Mm-hmm. So if if you say, you know what, with my service company, I do this and I do this one thing better than anybody else, it doesn't mean that you only have one service. It means that's what you're hanging your head on to attract all the other things. You can still have second, third, fourth. Um, in, in my current agency, we have uh, we have twenty-one services, but we are really well known for three of them. But by by revenue division, those three bring in most of the leads. But by service offering of what actually gets signed, I'd say it's spread across about 50% of it.
0: Hmm. You know, I think one of the biggest... You know opinions, which I think obviously you you would probably disagree with, and I think I would too. Is that there's well, or maybe a lot of people would agree with that you know everybody needs to have to find a niche and to 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 verticalize and you know segment their customers, but they're they're terrified to do it, you know, because they say yeah. a lot of people say yes to everything. So right. you know how do you how do you overcome that that huge hurdle in your head or in your operations? I'd love to tell you it's just guts. <laughs> It's not just guts,
1: it's suffering, because there are going to be times where you're going to have to say no, even though you're hungry, because the cost of opportunity of saying yes to something just because you're hungry is going to take you away from focusing on what you
0: can do well. How did you go about finding exactly what the the segments were that you wanted to focus on? Is there certain things that you've seen people do well as you've gone through some of your businesses and working with your customers that they figure out how to actually dive in and double down on that specific thing? Well, so I've
1: worked with quite a few different professional service agencies, and I'll tell you the ones that are the most successful, it's because whether it's a single leader or a leadership team, they focus on what they're naturally good at. So if you have somebody who is a really good engineer, if they lead their vertical in towards that engineering, or they're a really good artist and they lead their service towards that, that design, or if it's a type of law or a type of accountancy, you will see that they are very successful. And for the things they don't do well, don't even try it. Partner. Hmm. I, I, I actually gave a, a talk at, uh, at an event in Europe that was specifically about partnership. And you shouldn't try and do everything yourself, because you will get a lot further by trying to partner, and you will get a lot more business out of that. And that's something that not only I practice, but I try to consult with the folks that I talk to to tell
0: them that that's the best thing they should be doing. Can you give us a couple examples of things that, you know, people try to do, but they should have actually partnered with? <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll
1: stick to digital agencies right now or marketing agencies. You have marketing agencies right now that are trying to do everything. Right. <laughs> um, they're, they're trying to give you a brand. They're trying to tell you what your sales strategy should be. They're trying to come up with a logo. They're trying to build you a website. They want to shoot a video. They want to sell your media. And then they want to help you with the SEO. Um, <laughs> oh, not to mention familiar. write the content, right? right. <laughs> right. You, to, to have the depth of that expertise, you have to have thousands of employees. Right. Not only do you have to have thousands of employees, but the communication between the different departments so that you can communicate well with that one client has to be flawless. Mm-hmm. What are the chances? What are the odds, right? Mm-hmm. What I try to tell... The folks that I work with is work towards your your strengths, partner for your weaknesses, and it's something that for me personally, the minute I got over my own ego of, you know, hey, you know what, I'm not a good writer, I need help. Um, True that. <laughs> one, <laughs> once I got over my own ego, I was like, oh crap! So I figured out a way how to partner with a writer, and I figured out how to. You know how to get my thoughts across to that writer and you know some of the articles even lately last week I published a, a, an article that got some really good reviews from from a community I'm a part of and um, like wow you're a great writer I'm like no no I just I just got my ideas out and I had a writer help me <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. right right <laughs> so is there it a- as you niche in with your because I mean I think you you hit on a, a couple of huge points there because when you have people and you're built and you're managing people managing projects and and customer expectations, you know how does that change your internal operations when you're finding someone and how do you manage the people of this because again it's it's a build, building that that brand and the reputation. How do you backfill those kind of people, and, and is there certain systems that you use to manage those people and to get everybody thinking the same way and on that vision of the niche or the, the the vertical? I mean, what were the certain things that you did to get everybody marching in the same direction? I'm gonna put a
1: pin for later. Come back to to the clients um, and and how you do the the, the how the c- customers owe always right. But mm. let, let me answer your question right now about. About building that team, you know, we, we both know uh, Sherry Walling, Dr. Sherry Walling, and mm-hmm. I have the uh, I have the pleasure of of helping her out sometimes with some of some of the stuff that she's doing. One of the exercises she took my executive team through was uh, the Strength Finder, and by coincidence, not, <laughs> um, or by planning, um, it turns out that the. The six people who lead uh, my agency are almost, they literally fill every niche. They make a complete segment and they don't really overlap. Um, that's important, especially if you're going to scale, which we haven't gotten to. Mm-hmm. But if, if you really want to scale past one or two people, you really have to take a look at, at making sure that you're using those those. Types of qualities that come through on the st- the, the strengths finder and say, okay, I'm really good at this. You're really good at that.
0: Give each other the space to do that. What are some of the examples? Because I, I think a lot of people are familiar with the strength finders and how. What are those different skill sets that you're that you're filling, and how do they translate into the operational or actual execution roles?
1: So the the most the most prevalent that you see when it comes down to brass tacks and business is folks who are more the strategic thinkers or uh, sometimes they're quick starts and people who are um, more operational or they're shippers they deliver if you if you just want to break it down by simply that as a starting point that's that's the beginning the beginnings of it but uh, you know that, you can read about that just through the strength finder to the strength finder stuff um it's just very important to really find a good juxtaposition is the really the bottom line here mm-hmm.
0: so how does that actually impact your ability to scale because i think you i mean it's getting the right people in the right spots is a, a crucial crucial thing for every business owner to actually have a machine even if it's full of all these people that's humming you know what are, what are uh, how does that Im- how does that impact your ability to to scale and to deliver large quantities or high volumes
1: yeah um you know, and that that touches a little bit on. You were talking about some of my successes and failures. Um, I learned the hard way that in a professional services firm, I have not seen a successful way to take outside money. The only way to scale fast through the first the twenty years of of working that I did was taking external money. And by taking external money, you're sort of creating that artificial exit, that need to exit because. People need their multiples back out with a certain schedule, mm-hmm. um, and what I've learned in trying to step back, I did I did it backwards. Most people start by bootstrapping a business, and then you know they they come in and they get investors later. <laughs> I did it backwards. I I started a bunch of businesses with investors. I uh, had some good exits, and then I backed into, hey, you know what? I'm going to bootstrap this thing.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: And if, and if you're going to bootstrap it, the number one thing I'm going to tell you is you have to be able to figure out how to scale your skills quickly. And to scale the skills quickly, it's about bringing in those people who they might not think like you do, and that might be frustrating, but that's
0: sort of why you need them. Can you give us a, a, an example of, of a dynamic like that? Yeah. Um, one of the guys on my current team, I'm
1: so very proud of him. He has a, a military background, and he, he has a way of thinking through things where it, it's very by the numbers. What's the SOP? What's the process? How do I apply these steps? And where do we get to next? And coming into it, I would, when I first got to know him, I would get a little bit frustrated because I'm like, I'm this guy who's always, I think of myself as a a strategist. I'm always like three steps ahead, right? So I'm trying to explain step number three after (laughs) saying two words of step number one. And he's like, hold on a minute, come back and talk to me about step number two. And I would just get frustrated. But what I learned working more and more and more with him was, first of all, bringing me back to forcing me to talk about step number two. uh, I had had skipped a bunch of things that could potentially cause problems. Number two, by skipping ahead to number three, what I'd done was I had not given him a moment, let him think it through. I was rushing. And I would find out later that In him taking the time to do that, he would come up with directions that I hadn't even thought of. Mm -hmm. So I just had to get over my impatience. And then thirdly, I would rub off on him to where he would take everything that I've done. And when somebody came to him and said, hey, I have an idea, and they're about to go through the three steps, some of the the things that I brought to the table, he'd go, oh, yeah, no, I see where you're going to be on number three, but let's talk about number two real quick. And he'd be able to apply some of the things that I brought on. And then vice versa, as i just explained to you how I see the value of him backing up to number two, it's changed the way I think. So it, it's amazing the opportunity you bring by not hiring people who you know too well or are already your best friends or, hey, you know, I'd lo- I think I could spend a lot of time with this person. Therefore, I'm going to hire them because I like them.
0: Right. Well, yeah. So. I've been there, done that, made the mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, when you think about, you know, a professional services firm, there's a lot of different ways. And you talked about from strategy to shipping and delivery and how you're essentially making an org chart of roles and responsibilities. You know, how are you building this system internally of a communication and delivery of the, because of the services to the client, because I think, you know, there's huge from the, you know, day one that here's what we're doing. And again, whether it's digital marketing or if it's, you know, any other professional services, but you're, you're, you know, layering on these projects with these different people and different skill sets. Is there certain tools or systems or methodologies that you use to get everybody working together like that? Now that you've got all these different skill sets on the team.
1: Oh, we could go down a rabbit
0: hole for an hour just on this. <laughs> um, this is
1: incredible. We're in a great moment in time in history right now, because for the last 80 years, it's been about get everybody in the same room and give them the culture, hand them the culture. And the smart people, even 80 years back, were saying, no, let the culture develop on its own. In the last 10 years, we've really seen the emergence of the virtual company, the distributed company, the company that isn't necessarily in one office, mm-hmm. forget the satellites, but you don't, you, you can't have the physical water cooler time. And that's created this vacuum where you don't have a choice as an entrepreneur. If you have a virtual company or a distributed company, the culture is going to be made by itself. You can... You can try and affect it, but it's going to be an independent organism of its own. And the tools you have to use today are growing, and they're getting more complex, and those relationships are getting more complex. So it's, it's amazing to see how this is changing today and how we have an opportunity to create companies that have very healthy cultures or unhealthy cultures, depending on how we interact
0: with each other. And it's a combination of pro- of the project management tools to video to video conferencing to help you know employees engage all that kind of stuff, isn't it? And it's a mesh. Oh, yeah. It's a mesh of all that stuff and how people interact with each other.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, from from the monthly company meetings where the managers are quite literally showing the embodiment of how calling out employees how they embodied what. um what our, our our mission goals were um, and what our core values were to quite literally um, at our company we have a director of operations who will take a new employee and uh, put them on a 15 minute get to know you video call with literally a random set of people. Oh cool. And you just you show up on a video call you've never met this person before and <laughs> you, just, you just start talking. <laughs> About the fact that you both work for the same company, and oh, you live in in Oregon? Oh, that's awesome. yeah, oh, well, that's cool. And you know, oh, you have a vegetable garden. that's and and you just sort of get to know each other in in a different way than it used to be bumping people in bumping into the hall in in places. Mm-hmm. so it's, it's a different way. it's It's very cool. it's very different. And um if done right, it can be just as healthy and it can be. You can still get that same dynamic of loyalty that people would only get by working in the trenches, elbow to elbow.
0: So, it, as you take this, I like how you called it the organism, the culture, because it it is it grows and it and it kind of evolves on its own as all these people interact and are delivering, you know, things in the same fashion to the the customers that they all are seeing in the same light. How is it now as we kind of shift into the the, the second, you know, part of the the big question of How is it that you look at that and then figure out who that could be a potential strategic partner or someone that you could sell to? Because you've got this potentially distributed team or, or whether it's in person or not. I mean, you got all these people and this internal culture of communication and delivery. How is it that you figure out? who the best person is to sell it to, and then how do you go about valuing it? And like you said, a lot of the times there's a lot of earnouts because of the riskiness of that culture dissipating afterwards. So, I mean, I know you've got a ton of thoughts on this, but you know, where do you start?
1: Where do we start with which one of those questions? And a
0: separate answer for each. One. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, no, and I think it, I think it's good because I mean, there, I've got so many questions about it because I think it, it you're 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 debunking the norm of the challenges with this this problem. So let's maybe just start out, out with let's say you've got a healthy organization and you've kind of built this this uh, organism that you've talked about. How do you know where to start looking? Whether it is a financial or a strategic partner.
1: It, perfect. So let's say you have a healthy organism, and let's say you you have taken a, a corner, you have created yourself a vertical. Well, for every vertical, there's cousin verticals. Rather than thinking to yourself, "How do I expand?" Think to yourself, "Who's already doing this, and who's doing it well?" And let's say you come up with ten companies. Mm-hmm. Out of those companies, look up their reputation. If you have access to a client or two of theirs, if you have access to ex-employees of theirs, you know, see what's been written on them. Never use any of those um, websites that are just for uh, disgruntled employees. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Try to find out a little bit about them. And then, you know, that'll cut cut you down to five. Okay. Once you have five, find out who the principals are of those companies. Get on a plane get in a car, get on a train, get on a boat, go and meet them. Meet them without an agenda. Go and talk to these people and see what kind of entrepreneurs are they? See how they're leading their company. See if you get along with them. The the three strongest partners I have in my business today, I did not have a thought that, you know, I was going to go find that one person, talk to that one person and go sell them on being a partner. They were at an event, they were one of many that I was talking to because I thought of their particular niche and there's just something clicked. They they aligned with my core values. They aligned with my meaning. They aligned with the way I wanted to conduct business. That'll bring you from five to one very quickly.
0: And it it's a lot like dating, isn't it? I mean, it's I mean, yeah, it's a partner. Absolutely. I mean, it's literally like a partnership. That that's you're finding partnerships more than just someone to write you a check to cash out. I mean, it's on. It's a very different thing.
1: It absolutely is, and you know, to do it right, then baby steps, right? Whether it's <laughs> whether it's dating or business, uh, you know, just take one step at a time, see how you get along. Uh, nothing will really show the true colors of an organization as doing a. Pitch together,
0: right, right. You pitch to a client, right?
1: Yeah, you pitch to a client together, and even in the preparation for that pitch, you know, um, Right, 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 I've I've started a pitch with with an agency that I had all the best the best indications from, and we were pulling together a presentation, and halfway through pulling together slides, they pull up a slide and they're like, "Well, we want to use this slide." I'm like, "So tell me about this slide," and they started going off. For 25 minutes on how horrible that client was, but they use it to get new work. It's okay to say, you know what, that wasn't the best experience, but they spent 25 minutes of my life telling me what a negative experience they had with a customer.
0: Yeah, that says a lot.
1: And that said everything I needed to know. Mm-hmm. When you're selling services, you know, I've, I've had to part ways with clients before, uh, differences of opinion. But you don't go around, you don't go around bad mouthing them. the The only thing that forgives that is if somebody doesn't pay
0: a bill. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you're you're selling your reputation too, which is about people and how you conduct your behavior. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I think you've so, an interesting thing here, Kareem, because the the partnership and you going into ventures together. You know, I, I have you seen it because I have is where... People want out and they're too burnt out. So that sounds like a lot of work, and you're trying to get married when instead you want to go away. So I think, right. you know, I, probably going into this with a good mindset that you're, you know, kind of evolving your business and your situation, and you, it's not just going to be able to be walking away because that's not kind of the arrangement that you're looking at.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't think I felt that It' It's
0: question. like if you're burnt out, you don't want to go down this route necessarily because of the, the work it's going to be to building a relationship because building a relationship takes time. So um, I'm going
1: to answer your question by, by quoting our, our common friend again, Dr. Sherry Walling with her work in Zen Founder and saying, if you're burnt out, deal with that first. Right? No, I think that's huge. Yeah, Because if you're burnt out, you're not going to be able to sell your company. You have to get over that moment first
0: because you're not going to get your value out of it. So let's say you're not burnt out and you're, yeah, cause I didn't, you are yeah because i you could not say it better myself. If you're not burnt out, and you're going down this route. You know, how do you then start the, if you've got the synergies and you've got the magic flowing between the two organizations, you know, how do you structure something like this to make it work for everybody, and to make sure that you're getting the highest value, and you're not just looking at the chairs, as it and and the assets in the restaurant, yeah. like you're talking about. And and that's
1: where I've had uh, a little bit of success in in dealing with some of the some of the acquisitions and mergers that I've seen. Is there are so many ways to do things that people just people just ignore because they're thinking, okay, performalize. Uh, the company is worth this. I'm going to have this type of check, and I want this type of deposit, and I want this type of earnout, and these these types of restrictions or options. And they they walk into it just very black and white. The best thing somebody could do is say, you know what? This is what I'm looking for. Everything else, let's have a conversation about. Because the most successful deals that I've seen aren't necessarily just the ones that the big multinationals do. Again, whether you're talking about uh, just a, any type of consultancy, not just marketing, the, the standard, um, it's going to be a certain amount based on your contracts, and it's going to be a certain amount upfront with a certain amount of payout, or clawback, or this or that or the other. Sure, you can talk about those all day long. At the end of that transaction, nobody's going to be happy. I guarantee it. It's a war of attrition. The more, successful, the more successful projects are the ones where the entrepreneur who's selling is very honest with themselves about what they want, even if that's just money and nothing else, um, or an exit and nothing else. And they really decide what's important to them. And they go, all right, everything else besides what's really important to me, let's take a look at that. Because when you walk in and you say, "Here's my musts," and there's a list of fifteen things, you're going to get the same thing on the other side, and that's where we talk about the beginning of negotiations, right?
0: Mm-hmm. What are some of the musts that you see? You know, you know, everybody knows the money one, but what are you know? I think, like you said, uh, most people don't know how many different variations there are behind this and how creative you can actually be on these structures. What are some of the musts that you see that people go in? And then also, what are the different kind of things that people aren't thinking of that they should be? So I'm going to stay away from the, the
1: the typical cliches of the financial transaction. Right. I'm going to say some of the things that I've seen that are just awesome is I've seen entrepreneurs who were, who actually wanted to build a long-term company. So they walked in with one of their musts being, I want this brand or I want this company to continue. And you you dig in further and they're like, because we do good work and we have happy clients. Or you, come, you have somebody say, you know what, I've come to a point where I have to retire. One of, one, of the, one of the agencies that I actually bought at the time started out being one where they came to me with a really good one, which is a lot of professional service firms are started by people who are experts in one area. They grow and then they realize, hey, I'm a really good expert. And now I'm actually just managing business and payroll and contracts. And I want to go back to being my expert, my subject matter expert. So they would come and they'd say, I want to go back to being a department head and let somebody else run the business, right? I've reached a glass ceiling where I'm not going to have the wild success um, of my friend Will Reynolds that automatically um, did so well that he got a professional executive team that gets paid a lot of money, and he can actually go do R and D all on his own. But if you hit a glass ceiling, you can say, you know what? I don't need to be the C blank O. Um, I can actually go be a department head and be happy. Those are some of the smartest entrepreneurs I know because they can walk up to a larger firm and say, "What's important to me is I want to be a subject matter expert. I want to have a certain amount of autonomy as long as it's profitable in." You know, creating this type of product or this type of service or this type of something, and uh, people who are looking to to grow professional services firms like myself will say yes to that all day long. If you're passionate about getting back to doing what you do, that's the best thing in the world, right? Um, but then, what where I started the story was even in this one situation. That's where they started the conversation, and then unfortunately, uh, this entrepreneur's uh health took a turn for the worst i would gotten to know him by now his name was alex king he was uh one of the founders of the wordpress community one of the first people to work on the project awesome individual people looked up to him as a technologist and after we came up with a deal where he wanted to go back and and really focus on being an engineer and get out of running the day-to-day business he was re-diagnosed with cancer no no and He said, "I've I've got to take a step back. I can't do this. But the most important thing to me is let's change the nature of the deal. It's no longer what's my buyout, but how do I take care of the business that I've built? How do I take care of the people that are in it? Please, let's do a deal where you're not going to do the standard M and A thing that you know. Three months in, you're going to get rid of eighty percent of the staff.
0: So it's really just knowing what's important and how, you know, how are you seeing so like let's say it, how are you seeing people balance the money plus their must because you know i think one of the challenges that, that some professional services firms get into is that you know they they've got potentially both whether they've really addressed the must or not but yeah you know a lot of the you know there's a lot of earnouts in this industry too and so it, how do you balance the need for the money and the need to be reassured that you're going to be fine and not be taken advantage of, of who you're selling to, but then also hitting your must.
1: So on the subject of earnouts specifically, it's really important to create earnouts that you believe in. If everybody's being honest on when they're actually negotiating the earnouts um, and not saying, you know what, these last three earnouts, I'm never going to last that long anyway. So what do I care? Um. If you're honest about it, you can come up with something that's going to work for everybody. It just has to be profitable. That's the bottom line. It's about execution at that point. Um, but people think that it's only going to be about the money, so they don't think about negotiating the autonomy, about negotiating the what if. Okay, let's have, let's talk about an earnout where you say you have to generate a million dollars worth of product by the end of the year. Okay, what happens if you don't? It can't be black and white. Because as part of the selling of your business, you're giving up the control of affecting the marketing to budget, of affecting your hiring plan, right? So your earnouts can't be that simple. They have to be a little bit more complex. And if you take some of these things into consideration... You really can't have a healthy earnout and you can't have something that, that is, has longevity to it. I know a lot of entrepreneurs who did not make it through their earnout because they, they wanted to keep their sanity. And a lot of it would have been uh, salvageable on both ends if they had bothered to take the time to think about the what ifs on earnouts.
0: I think you hit on a, an amazing point here, and it, yeah, I was—I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but it's—it's it's about these contracts. Or like all—all it, all it is is you're describing and planning for all of the, the scenarios. So, notes have lots of um, lots of bad rap, but I mean, all you're saying is that in that contract, plan all the different things that could be out, and then you're just protect. You're you're writing your own narrative, aren't you?
1: You, you are, you are, and you can't. You can't imagine any possible thing that'll happen, right? You can sit here and and say, I'm going to come up with a spreadsheet with any possible eventuality that might happen. So no matter how well you plan it, there's going to be something that happens that you didn't plan for. But if you've spent the time talking about the what-ifs, it'll be close enough that you'll be able to deal with it in good faith with your negotiating partner.
0: Well, and I think... Yeah, I mean that's the that's the far end of the planning spectrum where a lot of stories that we've heard on the show or other shows is that they don't ask any of the what ifs in this earn note and they don't realize yeah. that these people are not intending it. And I've i heard stories where you know it's it's tied to margin instead of top line, and all of a sudden they <laughs> they re- right you get you laughing because all of a sudden you're like oh sure yeah I mean, we've always had twenty percent profitability, and I literally heard the story where you know all of a sudden a big capital expenditure of a new truck gets thrown in you know, at the end of Q2 and they don't get their huge bonus. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, wait a second. I was not in charge of margin. And then there's this huge dispute. A few years back, I gave a talk at, uh, at a European conference as
1: well. Another one where I started the talk for the first 15 minutes, telling three stories of how, when I worked for the multinational, I screwed three different, um, entrepreneurs out of their businesses because they were so full of themselves, they weren't thinking through these these processes. And that's exactly right. You have somebody who walks up to the table and goes, I'm worth this blank multiple because I always have 20% margin. Like, okay, so let's write that down. You're going to get your earn out and your extra 100% bonus as long as you hit that 20%. What they didn't negotiate was quite literally... A cap on capital expenditures, or the capital expenditures being deducted from that, or any number of things that you, the business, can choose to uh, to screw you on later. It happens all the time,
0: all the time. Right. And I think, you know, it, it It really has, and that kind of goes into like the third kind of category that we we're talking about, which, you know, because there's an earn out, you're, you're kind of switching into the life with the next business partner. And how is it that, you know, what are some of the things that business owners can do that you've experienced or that you would give advice to on how to figure out what your musts are?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we have to get past money, right? The, the first money, the first must is always going to be some level of money, whatever that is. If you can get past that, you really have to ask yourself what you want to do next because it is an exit, right? One of the things that you and I have talked about at length is folks need to decide to exit for the right reasons. And if just a check is that reason, you have to be upfront about that because then it is going to be a little bit more transactional. If your other reason is, I dealt with a company recently where the three partners who, who owned the company really wanted to join a larger entity where they could learn from. They're relatively young and relatively new to the entrepreneurial circle. So they said, if we're going to join this mega corporation, we want the opportunity to learn from people who have a better experience than we do or a longer experience than we do that's actually valuable to me in doing this deal Mm -hmm. and that's important right oh my gosh because they're like i'm gonna have three years where i have to do an earnout. what am i going to get besides a check Mm -hmm. invaluable business
0: experience what are the what are the you know rough ratios you see between like the 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 length of her notes and how much is upfront versus over time. Because I think that you know, just to give some people a little bit of perspective and knowing how important it is to to partner up with that person that they do have these these musts that are getting taken care of. Yeah.
1: So don't ever be in a rush, but I'll I'll tell you some of the some of the uh, successful deals that I've seen, some of them had zero money up front. It was all on earnout or all performance-based. And that's because you had a selling entrepreneur who was so convinced of their value and so convinced of their elbow grease that they could actually apply work to, that they could continue to make a difference if they found the right buyer who would let them have that autonomy and trust them back. So that way, you have a, you've created a situation where you are dependent on each other for hard work and trust. Now you have to there's all sorts of little ways to make sure that you know you're not you're not uh, letting the other person fall on their laurels. But there's all sorts of ways to create a deal where it's not just about the money upfront. You can actually get more than you ever imagined, money wise by creating a deal that is backloaded
0: people always assume it's about that deposit check mm-hmm. so what are some of the ways that, that you can maybe expand on the backloaded and the different ways that people have actually realized that value
1: yeah so uh, the, the the sort of the question i ask folks when they want to talk about this is okay great you want a million dollar check up front i'm just picking a number out of thin air mm-hmm. you want a million dollar check up front awesome what are you going to do with your business then? If, if forget selling the business. If I just gave you that million dollars to put into your business, to make your business more successful, what would you do? Mm-hmm. All right. Now, at the end, let's say you you spend that money. It came out well. How much more is your business worth now? Five x, six x. Right. Mm-hmm. So now it's worth more than that million dollar check that was going to go into your pocket. If you're that convinced on your business that you feel like you could do more, you're not trying to exit necessarily just yet, but you feel you could do more, as a professional service company or consultancy, don't look for external money. Look for somebody who wants to come in with you. And instead of taking that million dollars to exit, take that million dollars and build a business that's worth five, six, seven X much more quickly that's how you scale a professional service agency and you you come up with a contract that says on the back end 36 months from now 48 months from now if we hit these goals and these things happen then this is the type of payout I'm gonna see
0: that's beautiful <laughs> it's a little bit more complex than that but that's the the umbrella overview well I think it's huge because you know there's some main things that I you know that I've really honed in on, which is making sure that you're still loving the business. You've still got them. You understand your must and you understand your partner to be able to leverage each other's skill sets because you're leveraging each other. I mean, it's just like that team you were talking about for your executive team with the strength finders, but you're doing it with other businesses. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? You, You find some of those businesses you
1: never really have to merge. There is a situation where I did business with, with another business for close to five years, and every time we saw each other, we talked about, hey, someday we should merge, hey, someday we should do this, and we just didn't, but we kept
0: continually making each other money. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's fantastic because the the challenge of of people and skill sets is everybody's got different skill sets and you have to be able to f- find a cohesive team that leverages each other's, which you and I have talked plenty about. Um, so as we're as we're kind of wrapping up your career, you know, with the with all the different exposure you've had in the professional services and all the things we've talked about, is there you know going back is there is there one thing you want to highlight? to make sure that uh, it's uh, got some light shown on it? Or is there something that you want to make sure yeah. that we haven't, that you want to leave our listeners with? I
1: do. Um, if you're talking about professional services, that old adage from the, from the restaurants about the customer always being right, you have to lead with that. We all have customers who we wish would act in a little bit different way, but if you can't provide the best service with a smile on your face, no matter what, And every decision the organization makes isn't for the best outcome towards your client. Get out of professional services. It's
0: a hundred percent on delivery and reputation. Yeah. Well said because it's people, it's all about what are they going to talk about after you leave? Yep. 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 What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, please come by and see either uh, my site at maruki.com which I'm sure will be in the show notes and uh, or take a take a look at crabfavorite.com com, uh, the agency
0: i loved it thank you so much for coming on the show kareem
1: thank you Ryan. it was a pleasure
0: Thanks for sticking in there. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Kareem. If I were to you know, nail down a couple things that I really enjoyed that I took away from the interview with Kareem is one is the analogy he gave between the services industry and then also the restaurant industry, because there's a ton of validity to that. For a company that has a bunch of amazing people that work well together, that have consistently delivered services to specific clients is worth a lot of money. And how that is structured is a different topic, but I think it's really important important to understand that the reputation and the customer's always right and constantly delivering top-notch service is worth something to a potential buyer because of how hard that is to recreate. And the second thing that dovetails right off of that is how creative you can be in aligning with a potential partner where you can both reap the rewards of doing your services, potentially cross-sell, and then have more of an upside as the businesses continue to integrate more together because you're able to leverage each other's skill sets and the each other's staff, and the last one I think that is a, is extremely important is planning for all the what ifs in a contract and in an earnout. An earnout can be extremely beneficial if you have it ironclad and you're able to think about all the what ifs that could potentially come across. But aligning it with your motivations and your desires with this potential partner, and then being able to be rewarded financially for it and for your hard work and integrating the different cultures, it's possible, and you can actually get the reward of having a great professional services team and company that is providing amazing services to clients. So I really hope you enjoyed it. I think it was an interesting take on the professional services world and Kareem's got a ton of great information. Check out his website if you got the chance. And if you enjoyed the episode, go onto iTunes and give it a rating. So until next week.